0: Like he said, my name's Michelle. Um, I'm really grateful to be here to speak to you all. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm in my uh, second year this year as a full-time UCM staff person, so they were talking about those spring work days. Um, I work full-time for that ministry. It's just a ministry that's seeking to reconcile college students at Western Uh to Jesus Christ. And so I kind of fell into this position by God's grace, but that's, that's kind of a whole other story. Um, but I am learning a lot. Um, I'm just setting the soccer ball here because we're going to use this. Um, I'm going to use this throughout my message. And so just in case you were wondering, that's there. Um, I'll get to that. <laughs> um, so if you're wondering, is she even old enough to be out of college? <laughs> yes, I am. Um, I know sometimes the braces throw people off. Um, they are coming off soon. But um, But a few things about me. Um, I'm 26 years old, uh, not married, and um, I grew up in Olympia, Washington, just uh, a little bit south of here, where my family and my really adorable, almost two-year-old niece, Daisy Grace, live. And actually, my mom's visiting from Olympia here. She's in the front row. But that's anyway. Um, So I want to start, and I want to ask you a question. Uh, Do you ever feel stuck? Maybe like this. Yeah, I really like that meme. So this is a meme. I feel like it describes what you could feel like when you feel stuck. I feel like it strives that pretty well. Um, if you don't know what a meme is, it's, it's basically just a picture that describes, you know, something you're feeling or a situation in like one picture and maybe a few words. And I really like these because often I don't really know how to describe something very well. And so it's just like, there it is. That's what I'm feeling. And so um, sometimes it's just that kind of day. You're feeling stuck. Um, but feeling stuck is definitely something that I've experienced. Um, so it reminds me also of a soccer game. So um, I've played soccer since I was young. Uh, maybe some of you uh, play soccer or, or played it when you were younger. Um, right now I play on an indoor rec team over at the Sportsplex in Bellingham. Um, but when we're down by three, um, we don't have any subs because we didn't get enough people show up or there's like five minutes left. And we're kind of feeling like, all right, we've tried everything. I'm like, this is not looking good. <laughs> it's easy to feel stuck. Like, okay, I mean, we're losing, we're going to lose. And, and so it's, it's that feeling you get when it seems like there's really nothing you can do to change the situation. Um, but sometimes like feeling stuck isn't just a, a day thing. Sometimes feeling stuck isn't just like how you're feeling in a game when it looks like you're going to lose. Um, Sometimes it's something we experience like consistently, like in something, in some circumstance in our life or something like that. It could be, it could be something that we experience on a daily basis. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. To be honest with you all, um, something that I can get stuck in on a daily basis is how to be 26 years old and not married with all the pressures that can come with that. Especially since I do want to be married, and I, yeah, I want that, but I want it to happen in God's time and way. But it's easy to feel stuck at times because I I hear opinions and feel pressures from all sides, whether it's from the culture or the church or well-intentioned family members or friends or just myself, honestly. Um, It's ideas like, the girl is supposed to wait but you're supposed to let the guy, per- and you're supposed to let the guy pursue, or we're supposed to put ourselves out there, but not too much, and you need to be open, but not desperate. <laughs> you should try dating websites, or no, you really should try dating websites, or you should be modest, but not standoffish. You need to be direct, but not weird. Again, with the weird thing, it's always the, just don't be weird. It's like, okay, well, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean? It can feel like no matter what I do, I'm going to be stuck because there's like all these different pressures from the world and things coming at me. Just like in the soccer game where it's just all of a sudden it just feels like, okay, I don't know how to get a win here. And just everything's pointing to I'm stuck. My guess is that you probably have something in your life right now that can make you feel stuck too. Today, we're going to look at a group of people that were in exile, and also, I think, felt stuck under a kingdom or culture that had a lot of power. But in the midst of it all, God shows up and gives a vision that points to a better way. You don't have to feel stuck, no matter what your circumstances are, or how you feel, or what your past is. Some of the questions I want us to consider today, then, is, um, the questions are, where do you feel stuck, and is there a better way? Where do you feel stuck, and is there a better way? If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series in Daniel. Like Tim said, uh, through Daniel, um, God gives us a vision of living faithfully committed to him, um, even when the world is headed in a different direction. So today we're going to be in Daniel 7, which is an interesting passage, so you can turn there in your Bibles now, or I'm going to have it on the screen. We'll be in uh, Daniel 7, verses 1 through 14, and I'm just going to start off, and I'm just going to... Um, read through that for us. Starting at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. "'The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. "'I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, "'so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. "'And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. "'It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. "'It was told, "'Get up and eat your fill of flesh.'" It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. What did we just read? So Daniel, like I said, who's living in exile at this time under the Babylonian Empire, along with many of his friends, was given a dream by God that includes a sea, beast-like creatures, um, an ancient one, or ancient of days, who's described as a judge who destroys one beast, takes away the authority of the other beast before eventually destroying them, and then a son of man, who we are told is given authority over everything in the end. So in short, like, this is a crazy nightmare. I mean, in the beginning, we're going to see that this, this would have been terrifying um, for Daniel to get this dream. So with that said, we're going to break down what this dream means. Um, what would this have meant to Daniel and his friends in exile? So we're going to start by looking at the first half of the passage um, with the sea and the beast, and then we'll move on to the second half. So um, we're just going to lay out some ground rules a little bit. Like Tim, I think Tim mentioned this, um, but uh, Daniel 7 is apocalyptic literature. So some of the things we know about that is that it's full of metaphors and similes. So it's, it's more like poetry than anything else. And so we have to be aware of what, what are the things in this and what are they being compared to. Um, and then also that apocalyptic literature's main purpose is to bring comfort to God's people in times of trouble. So God is giving this dream to Jan- Daniel and his people for a reason. But let's break down kind of some of the things we see in the dream. So the dream begins with the sea. Yeah, so it says, where um, there are four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. So the sea was a symbol of chaos in these days. Um, many Babylonian myths uh, would have the sea personified as something that was like trying to take over the land and push out anything that would keep it contained. Like it it res- represented chaos, power, and destruction. So if you could imagine, like, if you were having this dream, it's basically like, I mean, I imagine like a tidal wave or something coming up about to, you know, engulf a city. So that's just like the start of it, okay? So you got a tidal wave coming up. And this is just the beginning. And then what do we see come out of the sea? We see these, like, massive beasts, okay? And so scary things just giving birth to more scary things. So then when we look at verses 3 through 7, um, we see the description of the different beasts. So it says there are four great beasts. Um, it references like a lion with wings, um, a leopard with four heads, a beast with iron teeth, all these different things. Um, if you continue to read in Daniel 7, verse 14, we're told that these beasts represent kingdoms. So with that said, the beasts are being used to describe the things in power of that day. So um, one thing we do know is that the first beast described is King Nebuchadnezzar. Because if you look back in uh, Daniel chapter 4, which we talked about a few weeks back, um, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was sent to the wilderness to basically act and eat like an animal. God was teaching him a lesson, and then he's brought back and given a human mind and heart. And that's kind of that's referenced in Daniel 7. So we know the first beast described as him, but without getting into like what the other beasts and what kingdoms they represent, I just want to look at... Um, how the beasts are portrayed, and then what this tells us about the types of kingdoms these people in exile were living under. Um, a few things we can note about the beasts from the text. Uh, they, they aren't simply one animal or something we encounter in everyday life. They're not human. They're not fully animal. They're kind of a mix, and they're definitely not nice. <laughs> like You would not want to run into one of these things. Um, so these beasts are, I, was, I would go as far to say, like mutants. So, when I think of mutants, I go right to X Men. I mean, who wouldn't? I don't know. That's me. X Men's my favorite superhero series. Um, if I guess if you would consider that, but um, my favorite character is Wolverine. And we know from the movies that Wolverine has long, sharp claws that come out of his hands. And when he gets hurt, you know, he automatically heals. So even like you know when he gets shot with a bullet, he does this thing and it just kind of pops out, and he's he's fine. So like a bullet wouldn't even kill him. So even though Wolverine is good, um, if you've seen the movies, you know that. Um, the thing is, his power makes it so almost really no human force could really win against him. Um, and so that's kind of similar to, like, these beasts that are being portrayed. You know, they have all these different powers, and they're, they're mutants, you know. It's like nothing really in, in the human world could really fight against them. So that, can, that could make these kingdoms seem like, you know, pow- we're powerless to do much against them. And Daniel and his friends must have felt that way, too. If I had to think about what my beast or mutant would look like, the pressures of a single girl beast, um, I might describe it as like a, a massive bear with like four heads, all talking at the same time, like telling me different things. And then I think it would have wings too, so it could like fly around me like a bug, like, it just, but like a really big bug, but like just like trying to like get in my ear, always telling me these different opinions and things. Um... Maybe you start to think about the beast in your life. Like, what, what would that look like? What would the mutant look like? I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but what I want to say again is, like, these beast-like kingdoms being mutants is that it tells us that these kingdoms were so twisted, so evil, so powerful, they weren't even human and more so not even anything that could really be fought against by human powers. And They made people feel very powerless. So let me summarize, like, what all this means. The question we are asking is, what would this dream have meant to Daniel and his friends back then? Well, obviously it would have been terrifying in the beginning. Uh, Daniel says later um, in verse 28, I was terrified by my thoughts and my face was pale with fear. So, I mean, he, he was terrified by this, this dream, this vision that he got. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you feel that way too? Like, basically you're getting this dream that's describing these, like, kingdoms that you're living under, these culture, military forces as powerful jaw-chomping mutant beasts (laughs) Um, and knowing that nothing on earth really seemed like it could stop them to bring it back to the soccer analogy basically I feel like it was making them feel like they were told to score the game and it was not looking good like they were told they were looking at these powerful kingdoms and they were like oh we see how this is gonna go this is not looking good for us so I started today by talking about something that can make me feel stuck, that can bring me to a place of feeling kind of powerless to do anything or no, really know what to do. Kind of like in a soccer game, when it feels like everything is pointed toward losing and there's no way to avoid it. So my question is, for you, like what makes you feel stuck right now? What makes you feel stuck? Is it a dysfunctional work environment? Is it striving after the American dream of perfection in school or work or as a parent or even a grandparent? Is it a dysfunctional family or relationship or maybe a relationship that just won't change, really? Is it cultural pressures to be attractive or tolerant or in the know? Is it something you just can't let go of, like an addiction? I mean, a beast can be inside of us, too, like a way that we see ourselves, that we just seem we can't get past. God sees how stuck we can feel under these pressures and powers of this world that, that feel like mutants. That we have no power to fight off on our own. Thinking, man, I already know how this is going to end. So my question is, like, do you, do you feel like God sees you in that? Do you feel like he sees how powerless these things can make us feel? And, and what would God want to say to you in the midst of that? I think God had something to say to his people through the rest of the dream. <laughs> so with these questions in mind, um, I want to look at the second half of the passage now where we see a vision of victory over the beastly kingdoms. In this, I believe that God is saying something to his people, that he sees and knows how they are feeling they don't have to feel stuck and powerless. So when we look at verses 9 through 14, where it's referencing, you know, the ancient one and the son of man. Um, we see the ancient one described and we know that this is God. The way he um, is described has symbolic meaning too. Uh, the white hair being wisdom, uh, white clothing symbolizes righteousness, fire is judgment. Um, he's the judge who strips the beasts of authority and destroys them. And the Son of Man, for those of you who are not familiar, is Jesus Christ. Son of Man is, is one of Jesus' favorite ways to identify himself um, in the Gospels. In Mark 2, there's a story um, that many of you are probably familiar with of a paralyzed man who's lowered through a hole in the roof by his friends because that's the only way they can get him to Jesus because Jesus is so crowded around by people. So Jesus sees their faith, and he says to the paralyzed man, like, your sins are forgiven. Um, And some of the religious teachers of that day get angry, and they say, where does he get authority to forgive sins? Only God can do that. Of course, Jesus is God. But here in Mark 2, verse 10, Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, and that's him. And then if he heals the man, but that's how he likes to identify himself in the Gospels. He's the Son of Man, he's the Son of God. And this is what we see in Daniel 7 too. Just a side note, the people back then in Daniel's day wouldn't have known, this is specifically Jesus Christ, but they would have seen it as some sort of you know, Savior, Messiah, um, that was going to come and um, rule over all. So then when we look at verses 13 and 14, um, we look about, that it says, The Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority over all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. The Son of Man, or Jesus, a God who is not mutant, not evil, who is like God and knows what it is to be fully human because he came and he lived like one of us and yet he was without sin. He is given authority and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, and it says that his rule is eternal, and his kingdom will never be destroyed. He wins, not the mutants, the son of man. So why is this good news for Daniel and his friends and for us? Well, if we skip down to verse 18, we see that Daniel approaches someone around the throne in his dream to ask the meaning of these things. And they respond saying, but the holy people, of the most high will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So the beasts are destroyed. Jesus Christ is given all authority and God's holy people. That is those of us who believe in Jesus Christ are given the kingdom as well. So how does knowing this change how we live today? How does that change anything? Well, bring us back to the soccer game analogy. So where at some point in the game, you know, you're down by five. There's no subs left. There's there's a few minutes in the game, and you're like, this is not looking good. You feel hopeless. You feel stuck. I mean, most weeks when I play in soccer, I mean, because it's also a rec league, you don't really know if you're going to win or lose. So you don't really know who's going to be there on any given week. But the thing is, what if I knew without a doubt, that we were going to win? What if somehow I saw the score at the end and it said we were going to win? How would that change how I played? when the other team trash talked or when we're losing by two or three or five or when our best player gets hurt when we're playing without any subs and we're all really tired what if I knew we were still gonna win instead of feeling stuck in that I think I would be able to play a lot differently I think I would be able to play without anything bringing me down So what do I mean in all of this? Knowing the final score can change how we play the game. And we have been given the final score. (laughs) Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was raised to life, and sits at the right hand of God. He has been given all authority. And we are shown this in Daniel 7. He defeats the beasts. Jesus won, and the beasts and this world, zero. And guess what? Like, we get this win, too. This power and authority, we get this, too, in knowing Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you can have this win, too. God is capable of getting us unstuck through believing in Jesus Christ because we get to identify with Christ in his death and resurrection, meaning his win becomes our win. Ephesians 2, 4-7 says this, But God, being so very rich in mercy because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ, for by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in the heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. His win becomes our win when we are in Christ. So for me, I shared about the pressures of being a 26-year-old who's not married. For me, knowing the end of the story and knowing Christ today means that I can trust that none of these pressures I feel are too big for him to speak into, that I can have freedom in this. He can help me move past any mutant beast that gets me down. I don't have to worry about losing. I don't have to fear. No matter what my circumstances look like, I can trust that I've already won, that Jesus Christ has made me free. So by now, you may have something in mind that you feel stuck in. So for you, how does knowing the final score change how you live today? How does it help you get unstuck? What does it mean for you to identify with Christ in the midst of whatever you're going through? I just want to speak into some of the situations maybe some of you all are in today are you stuck in guilt from your past? Because of Jesus Christ, God's righteous anger against sin has been satisfied. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. And when Satan stands to accuse you, Jesus stands to defend you. Are you struck are you stuck and frustrated with your ability to please God? You feel like you're, you're constantly striving and it's just, you can never please God. Well, Jesus has fulfilled all the righteousness of the law. And because he has perfectly pleased his father, we who are in Christ are also pleasing to God. That's so cool. Are you stuck in unforgiveness? Has a friend or family member sinned against you and, and caused you a lot of pain? Jesus can enable you to extend the same forgiveness you've received to the one who has wronged you the most deeply. He can give you the power to do that. Are you struck? Are you stuck in a struggle to be free from sin or addictions or even anxiety? I know anxiety is a huge thing. I see it so much in college students today. There's so much pressure from, from, from college and school to say like, you have to work to get this grade or you're not gonna get a job and you're not gonna be a success and you're not gonna make money and you're not gonna, you're not, you're And it's just like all the way to the end of saying you're gonna lose. And the thing is, that's, that's not what it means to be in Christ. Christ has broken sin's power to control you when he died and rose again. Are you stuck in disappointment from someone who broke a promise in Jesus Christ, we see that God always keeps his promises. You can know that about him. And finally, do you find yourself just stuck in circumstances that seem hopeless? In Jesus, there is hope in every circumstance. Through him, we see that God is all powerful and nothing is beyond his control. Nothing that seems so powerful as a mutant beast jaw chomping and crunching and something that's out of our control nothing is too powerful for god and one day all the tears are going to be wiped away all sorrows to be turned to joy and all of the powers of this world are going to be destroyed and it's going to be shown that jesus christ had the authority the entire time he has the authority we have already been shown the final score and it is good for those who are in christ As I invite the musicians to come back up, the way I would like to to invite you to respond is in prayer. Um, If you were here last week, Carlo talked about prayer um, through Daniel, who showed us as he was dedicated to prayer three times a day, even when it could cost him his life.